traditional hellfire and brimstone message. Can I have an amen? Oh, sorry. Oh, there I do the American accent again. Well, it's not going to be that. I'm sorry. Um, you can, you can uh, speak to me about lying from the pulpit later. But we're going to, to hopefully see that that's not the intention that Paul has for us from this passage. I do think it's, it's quite a complex passage, so probably what we need to do first, in fact, not probably, absolutely what we need to do first is pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our God and our King. Please help us to understand who you are and what you say to us. Lord, we come as people who are still in this world. We are not yet perfect. We are not yet like you. And yet you have called us. And yet when you look at us, you see your son and you see us as holy. Oh, Father, until that day comes, we we long for that day when we would be what we are in you for ourselves and in ourselves. We long for the day when your holiness is ours by nature and by instinct. But until that day, Father, we come as those who have really experienced more love than we would have given us if we were in your place. We come, Father, as those who know that you have loved us, that you have rescued us, that you have decided not to leave us on the refuse heap, but that you have saved us, that you have showered mercies upon us, that you have been better to us than we deserve. And we come, Lord, knowing all this, and we give our very lives to you. We give our very selves, our bodies, our, our all to you. Lord, we don't do it to Lord, we can't do it to earn your love. Though I give my body to be burned and have not love, I am but a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. Lord, we don't do it to earn your favor. We do it because you are favorable to us, because you have been good to us. Out of gratitude, we bring our lives. Jesus, please help us to understand what your servant Paul wrote. I pray that as we listen to it, we would get more of an understanding of your heart and your mind and your will for us, your will that is good and pleasing and perfect. Give us such a captivating vision of who you are that our very lives would be transformed and altered and made new. Father, by your Spirit, Change us into the likeness of your Son, into the likeness of yourself. Empower us with your power. Speak to us, I pray. Jesus, speak to us now. Lord, you inspired Paul to write these words, and it's, it's a dense chapter, Lord. It's, it's complex. Please light up the neurons in our brain that we would understand. And by your Spirit, enable us to apply it to our lives. Amen. This is a a good passage, isn't it? Uh, Especially the first two verses. 
Um, as I was researching this, most people, um, in fact, there's, there's, there's quite a few sermons you can go and find that deal with verses 1 and 2. And I can understand why, because you could do a whole hour-long sermon on verse 1 if you wanted to. And then you could do an hour-long sermon on verse 2, and if you felt like it, you could maybe do an hour-long sermon on verses 3 to 8, and then possibly, let, let's give 20 minutes to verses 9, and 20 minutes to 10, and 20 minutes to 11, and so on, and so on, and so on, and we'll, we'll maybe lump the last three verses together and give you another 40 minutes on that. So, are we comfortable? Good. <laughs> Because we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to try and, um, and sort of get a, a brief overview of what Paul is going to say. We're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 because I want to suggest to you that verses 1 and 2 is kind of like a, a heading for Paul. And, and if you get verses 1 and 2, what follows in the rest of the chapter, and in fact in the chapters that follow it, it carries on, it's, it's a... It's an expression of how verse 1 and 2 gets put into practice. So if you get, if you get verse 1 and 2, you understand the, the basis, and then we're going to look and we're going to just sort of kind of see Paul saying, okay, let me give you some examples of how this looks in the church we'll see and in the wider community. As Fran said, this is one of those passages that we, we know quite well. And maybe after the last bit of Romans, you remember the last bit of Romans? Romans 9, 10, 11 that we've just been through and this really complex thing about does God keep his promises? Yes, he does. But what about the Israelites? Yes, but they, not every Israelite is a member of the people of Israel. And, blah, 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 and we get to the end of chapter 11 and it's just like, who understands God and how glorious he is? Praise be to him. I don't. I think that's kind of where Paul finishes in Romans 11. And then we come here to chapter 12, and it seems like, okay, Paul's done with the heavy theology. Isn't that a rude word? Theology. What, what do you think when you hear theology? Intellectual. Anyone else? Or does theology not make you think? Theology can be clarifying. It's scary, complex. I don't want to talk about it, Nick. This is, we kind of think that chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 is Paul's heavy theology stuff. And there's some really good bits in there like, like Romans 8. And we go, yeah, let's ignore the rest of it. There's some really good stuff there, but, but is Paul now done with the thinking, thinking bit and getting down to, right, rubber hits the road, let's get down to business, let's talk about what we have to do. And it's tempting maybe to just go, okay, let's read Romans 8, because I like that bit, and we'll skip the rest, and then we'll just do Romans 8, the second half, and chapters 12, 13, 14, 15. So we'll, we'll skip the first bit of Romans. We'll definitely skip verses, chapters 9, 10, 11, because those are tough. Um, why doesn't Paul start here? 
Why doesn't Paul start with the, let's talk about what you have to do as a Christian? Well, I think there's a very good reason, because Paul looks at us and says, if you want to know how to act, there is a reason for why we act that we do, and the reason we act the way we do, that sounds very complicated. Let me try that again. We act the way we do, we behave the way we do, because of what we believe about God and because of what we know about God. And so theology is not meant to be difficult and dry and, and confusing. Theology is meant to be life-giving and inspiring. And you can sort of see Paul going, this is he's writing chapters 1, oh, this is good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Oh, this is so good, let's apply it! And this is now kind of what he's doing. He's, he's got through all of the theology. Well, not all of it. There's lots of theology here, of course, still. But he's saying, let's, let's see how this works in practice. All this knowledge about what God has done. Because if we know who God is, that will change how we live our lives. As we see his wonderful kindness, it affects how we live today. Because Christian living... Real Christian living, and I'll be the first to say, this is not how I always base my Christian living. It's so tempting to start with the do this and don't that, isn't it? But that's not Christian living. Christian living, says Paul here in chapter 12, verse 1, starts with the mercies of God. He says there, because of all that he has done for us in the New Living Translation, the NIV says, because of his mercy. Now, the NIV, I like the translation, but it's not mercy, it's mercies. It's plural. What is Paul talking about? He's, he's basically saying, because of everything that God has done for us, the way he has been so good to us, we are therefore going to live our lives with gratitude in response to him. And, and you can just think about what is Paul saying here as he comes to chapter 12. He's saying, let's talk about the mercies of God. Go back and read chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Because in there we find all about how God has forgiven us, how we were lost in our sin, how there is no one righteous, how God has come, how Jesus died for us and rose for us, how he lifted the guilt that we bore. Chapter 6, how we died with him in baptism and were raised to life with him just as Jesus was resurrected. We see in chapter 8 how, how in his mercy God has made it that nothing can separate us from his love. We see in chapters 9, 10, 11 that God's promises are infallible and never fail and that God has saved each one of us. We see that, that we no longer need to bow throughout those chapters to our sense of shame for the past. And, and we see that God in His grace and His mercy has made a way for all of that to be set aside and that He looks at us in Jesus and says, You are my beloved children. And so Paul says, right, chapters 1 to 8, you got it? Fantastic, God is so good to you. That sounds really loud. God is so good to you. Wow. A guy called Thomas Erskine said, uh, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. In other words, God saves us by his mercy, by his unmerited kindness towards us. And we are so thankful to what God has done that our lives 
and the things we do are dedicated to him. So our passage today, because of what God has done, we give ourselves to him. And as we do so, God changes our thinking more and more as we choose to follow him daily. Let's have a look at at what Paul says here. He says in verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is, depending on your translation, truly the way to worship him, or this is your spiritual act of worship, or this is your reasonable act of worship. Question. What? I'm going to ask some questions. I hope you don't mind. What kind of worship does God like? Mark, what kind of worship does God like? From your heart? Spiritual worship. Now, I'm, I'm very glad that Mark, I, I, was, I thought maybe Mark would say, oh, he likes the old hymns. And he does. But he likes the new stuff too. Um, he likes people dancing with flags. I don't understand that, but I'm sure God likes it. Um, he likes people dancing with praise. I'm not going to demonstrate that. That will just be give you nightmares for a month. I, I think God delights in any expression of love for him. God if you're a parent and you're, sorry, Pam. He delights, in what's real. he delights in what's real. And it doesn't have to be perfect. If, if you're a parent and your kid has given you this picture that looks like the Eiffel Tower and they say it's a donkey, um, you still put it on the fridge. And God's like that. He's like, you know what? That's pathetic style, but you've done it because you love me. And I love you back. But, boy, he loved, loves us first. But that's not so much worship, is it? Well, it's part of worship, but what we've just done here, it is worshiping God, but it's more praising God and celebrating God. Worship is bigger than just Sunday morning. It's bigger than just singing a few songs. In verse 1, Paul uses the word logikos to speak of the kind of worship that God finds truly acceptable. Um, That's the word which which confuses our translations. Some people put it as spiritual, meaning that it's not not, um, uh, material. Some people, and and I think it's better to translate it as reasonable, like the footnote. Where's Fran? Like the footnote says reasonable or informed or rational. The word logikos, you can hear it yourself, can't you? Logic. The same root word that we get it from. That's the word. This is your logikos act of worship. So we have to ask ourselves, what is rational, reasonable, informed spiritual worship? What, what is that? Is, is it just an hour on Sunday? Is it an hour on Tuesday? Is it Um, tithing, is it whatever, is it anything? Says Paul, 
if we think about what worship is, let's think back to the basis of why we worship. We worship because of all that God has done for us. What has God done? God gave us his very self. He gave us his son who died for us. He gave up his life for us. Let's think about this rationally, logically, reasonably. What is a reasonable response to someone giving up their life for us? Well, Nick, I put in a $50 note this week. Well, Nick, I come to church every day of the week, except Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Now, says Paul, the logical, rational response is that we, in turn, give our bodies to God. God gave himself to us, and it only makes sense that we, in turn, give ourselves to God. And Paul says that this is a, a, a sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice because when I give myself, my all, my, and, and just all of my being, and what I do, and what I say, and who I am, when I give that to God, it's a sacrifice because no longer am I saying that I am the center of my own existence. You see, it's, it's so tempting for us to put ourselves first. We saw that last week, how, how this is a form of idolatry, to put ourselves first. But, but Paul says, no, if we realize how much God has done for us, then we in turn turn to God and say, God, have all of me. I don't need to be at the center of my universe, Lord. You be at the center. I put you first. I put your kingdom first. I put your will first. God, you be first in my life. And that's, that's a sacrifice for us because our tendency, our, our fallen sinful tendency is to put me first. And so I say, no, I will not indulge that desire to put myself first. I will serve God and his kingdom first. It's spiritual sacrifice, if you like that translation, because we are meant to be living sacrifices. We're not like the Old Testament where you'd kill the animal and it would be dead and then you'd go home. No, our, our sacrifice is, is not something that's done once. It's a continuous thing. As we live our lives from the day that we become grateful to Christ to the day that we die and become really grateful to Christ because we will see Him face to face, until then we must every moment be sacrificing our lives. Now I can tell you it doesn't work to say, Lord, I give my life over to you today and not tomorrow or the next day because it just doesn't work, does it? What's that old hymn? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This is a, a living sacrifice, a continual sacrifice. And it's a holy sacrifice. Not because I'm doing something really, wow, look at me. Every day, life to God, yeah, man. No, it's, it's not holy because I'm holy in and of myself. It's, it's holy because of what God has done. It is a holy sacrifice because God has made me holy when he looks at me in Christ. And one day he will make me holy. And so I give my life to him 
because of what he has done, my giving my life is holy because he's made it holy. Does that make sense? He's made it holy, so I give it to him, and therefore I'm giving him a holy sacrifice. What, what does it actually mean, though, to, to give our bodies to God as living and holy sacrifices? And the word, by the way, that Paul uses for body there is, is the word soma. It, it, it's the word for body. Paul doesn't use the word for self. He uses the word for body. Give your body to God as a living and holy sacrifice. I think what Paul is saying is that every part of our life is always to be focused and aware of the God who created and redeemed us. Every part of our life, always focused and aware of the God who redeemed us. And he uses body because this is not just something we can do spiritually in our heads. This is in practice uh, when we eat our food. Wow, God, you're so good to me. When we talk, wholesome, honoring talk to God. When we talk to each other, the same thing. When we exercise. Who here exercises? We're actually thinking, um, Taryn and I had a thought the other day. I thought, you know, it would be really good um, to start a walking group in the church. Just as an aside. We'll get over that. Mark will run, we'll walk. Why do we walk? Why do we exercise? Well, because God has given us these bodies and we should be looking after them. Notice I use the word should because I'm not very good at that. (laughs) When we interact with people, do we do so conscious of how Jesus interacts with us? You see, when we give our bodies to God, it affects the choices that we make. Paul's already dealt with this back in uh, chapter 6 where he said to us, don't give your bodies or the parts of your bodies as, um, well, don't give them to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer them to God as instruments of righteousness. See, offering our bodies to God finds expression in real everyday acts of service to each other. Being a living and holy sacrifice doesn't mean feed me, serve me, honor me. You see what that is? That is, I'm at the center. Being a living and holy sacrifice, putting God first, giving our bodies to God means, Lord, how may I serve you? How may I be of benefit to you? How may I serve your people? goes on in verse 2. You know what? We are going to stop at verse 2 because our time is running short, but it's such a good verse. Um, You'll get two minutes on the rest of the chapter. Let's focus on this one though. So we are to give our bodies to God, but but Paul sort of then explores that a little bit. What What does that mean? He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
You know, if you think about us humans, we are imitative by nature. We, we need a model to copy. There is a young lad at the back there playing with his mother's hand, not mother's, I'm sorry, Leonora, his grandmother's purse. But Franz, yeah, everyone else, check your wallets. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, we learn by looking at our elders, but I'm not sure what that says about Leonora. <laughs> we learn by looking at our elders. Isn't that how kids learn to speak? The best way to learn a new language is to immerse yourself in that culture so that you can, you're forced to imitate and copy. We, we are imitative people. But ultimately, says Paul, there are only two models when it comes to how we base our lives. There's the model of this world, and there's lots of flavors there, or there is the model that is God's will. The one, this world, lives in opposition to God, cannot please him, says Paul earlier on. And there is God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so often these two models are in contradiction to each other. And we all start out in this world, obviously. Um, but, but we start out, when we're talking about this world, we're not talking about this world. We're talking about this age, this, this era, this, this land in opposition to God, this, this grouping of people in opposition to God. And we all start out there basing everything on myself and my selfish desires and my sinful ambitions. And, and, and even when we become Christians, this old age still has this influence that it exerts on us. And we are still enticed to, to follow after the, uh, the patterns of this world. Me first, my rights. But, says Paul, rather than just going with the flow and allowing ourselves to be molded by our culture, instead, we should be seeking to offer our bodies to God. And, and that means allowing God to transform us, change us. That word is used only, I think, uh, four times in the Bible. It's used once here, it's used once in Corinthians saying pretty much the same thing. And it's used twice more in the Gospels of the same event where Jesus went up onto the mountain and he was transfigured, transformed. That's the, the sort of thing. You know, when the disciples saw Jesus, he came down from that mountain of transfiguration and he was different. That's what Paul is talking about, us being changed to be different, to be as we will be. Now, we'll never be fully transformed the side of eternity. I'm sorry. But still God transforms us. Who does the transforming? Well, I've just told you, God does the transforming. It's not a case of let go and let God. Paul doesn't here tell us how God changes the way we think. But I suggest that he does it as we spend time with him. Praying, reading his word. How does this change happen? How are we transformed? As we've just hinted, by the renewing of our minds. When how we think changes, 
how we act changes. If I have a compass and I'm doing some orienteering and I want to get from here to there and somebody comes along and says, Nick, you've been holding your compass next to a magnet. It's been off all this time. And they take away the magnet and suddenly I find I have to point this direction. Compass has changed. I change direction. Thinking changes. We change direction. We change how we act because our thinking is brought into the likeness of Jesus's. And the more we learn who Jesus is, the more we explore what he has done, the more we understand the heights and the depths and the width of his love for us, the more we can begin to discern and appreciate what God's will for us is. The more we have the mind of Christ, the more we can decide and discern and determine how to act in this world in a way that is in keeping with God's character. Whether that is a church, whether that is outside the church, whether it's at home, whether we're in the park, whether we're anywhere, the more we know God, the more we can decide how we should be living our lives. See, it's not just something passive that happens to us. Okay, Lord, I'm ready to be transformed. It's not something that happens automatically either. Who here has a transformed mind? Who here has a transforming mind? Working on it. Eric, how long have you been a Christian? Anyone, any advance in 70? Who, who's been a Christian longer than 70 years? Okay, so Eric, your mind's probably about 95% transformed by now. If only, if only. Yeah, change the way you think. It's not, a, it's not follow instructions better. It's change the way you think. You are what you think. Oh, this is good stuff. I like this. Fill your mind with holy and pure and good things. Metamorphosis. Yeah. There we go. Anyone else? I like this. We are transformed by our minds being engaged and switched on. You know, there's a character, caricature of Christians as being people who stop thinking. That's not Christian. And it's a process, this transformation. Paul calls us, and us to engage in this renewing of the mind. And yes, God's Spirit resides in us. Yes, God, by His Spirit, provides a new orientation to our thinking, but but our thinking's not instantaneously changed, and, and we still have these old ruts that we have to get out of. That's the way our minds work. Habits and ways of thinking do not change in an instant unless God in His mercy does a great miracle, and sometimes He does. More often, it's the slow journey with us. 
And the key question to ask ourselves is, well, two key questions. Who does it? Who does it? Who transforms our minds? God. Holy Spirit. With us. You see, God does it, but we have a responsibility in terms of what we are feeding into our minds. It's a bit like the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. And how do we help that? We learn to know God better. We spend more time with Him. We, we cooperate with God's Spirit by, by feeding our thinking on who God is. And the more we spend time learning who God is, the more our minds are reprogrammed and our thinking is reprogrammed in line with the values of the kingdom. Now, in, in neuroscience, the way that they talk about setting down memories and habits and patterns, they talk about chunking. And so you, Nancy, you know about chunking? Do you want to tell us about chunking? Okay. Please correct me when I get it wrong. <laughs> chunking is, is this, this, the way your, your brain sets down memories and patterns and stuff. It, it puts it into chunks and it stores it. Kind of obvious. The Holy Spirit comes and as we feed on the, the Word and as we spend time with God, He rechunks us. So, uh, I want you to go home today and go, rechunk. It's a great word. Christianity is about being rechunked. So I, I love that word. Paul wants us to think through our lives in light of God's will. He doesn't want us to just follow the rules. He wants us to think through our lives. You see, we can follow all the rules that we know and still be out of God's will. Because there's always a rule that I haven't thought of yet. And there's always a rule that I haven't read yet. The, the Old Testament Pharisees, they came up with so many rules. Did they cover every situation? Of course not. Following the rules only gets us so far. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish and he's fed for life. God's not very impressed by the list of things that we don't do. He's after our thinking being changed so that we approach life as God would. Genuine Christianity is a mind awake and alert to God. Not content to take a few guidelines off the peg but to understand why we should be acting and living and being one way rather than another. Now that has been a long sermon, hasn't it? I'm not going to do the next page and a half of what I was going to say. But I am challenging you to just go and read through it, um, verses 3 to 21. And as you read through it, don't look at it as a list of do and don't. Think of each of the things that Paul writes in terms of verses 1 and verse 2. Give your lives to God. Dedicate your bodies to God. Everything that you do in this world, here and now, and transform your thinking. Focus on God. And when you do that, you suddenly find that every situation, you apply that, and you see, how do I, how do I act based on that? That's, that's all that Paul is doing. He says, um, 
just an example, he says at the beginning there, let's apply the fact that we've all got different gifts. What does that mean? Well, we think about Christ and his body and, and how we all work together. He goes on, he says, let's talk about when someone persecutes you right at the end. What does that mean? How do I react? Well, God does this. Okay, um, God reacts well to us and therefore we will not treat others with persecution. We'll leave that up to God. So exercise for yourself. Rechunk your brain this afternoon. Okay. The kids have left, so we're going to stop. Over to you, Fran. About you, but I frequently stop and think, wow, I've really changed. Do you ever have those moments where you stop and you think, I'm so glad the Lord's doing something with me. Certainly can't do anything with myself. So we're going to stand and stand.